Good morning. Are you feeling good today? I mean, come on, sunshine in the middle of February, just feeling the warm sun, it feels pretty good. But I'm also hoping that um, you're already feeling today just the warmth of a God who loves you like crazy, a love that is fierce. I'm glad that uh, you chose to be here today. I just want to spend a few minutes with you sharing um, some stuff. We have spent a month asking the question that we believe God is leading us to ask in 2017, what's your why? What's your why? In other words, why do you do what you do? And that has led us to the answer that we believe God wants us to know like never before in 2017, Christ, love compels us. In other words, why do I do what I do? Because Jesus loves me. Because Jesus loves me, a love that is fierce. And so all of that that God's been walking us through in the last month, I believe has led us to where we are today. It is the call then for us to live like we're loved. Why do I do what I do? Because Jesus loves me. Okay, then that really should translate to living like you're loved. There was a guy by the name of Mark Russell who wrote a dissertation in the field of missiology. Now that's just a weird word that simply means the study of Christian missions. That's what missiology is. And he wrote this dissertation after studying some missionaries in Thailand, Chiang Mai, Thailand. One group of missionaries that he studied had set their goal of sharing the gospel story, the good news of Jesus with as many people as they possibly could so that as many people as possible would convert to Christianity. Group number two that he studied had a primary goal to live out God's love in a tangible way in the community to their neighbors. And then as a result of that, to share why they did what they did, which was the gospel story of a Jesus who died and rose again. The results of the study As you might imagine, group number two made the most significant social impact as far as people being fed and being cared for and whether it was through medicine or construction or whatever it was, they literally got into the lives of people and socially it really did affect the community. But the other remarkable part of the story is that group number two also saw remarkably more conversions. They saw multiple times over more people come to put their trust in Jesus as a result of the love of Jesus first being lived out in front of them. I'm asking you the question this morning, 
What could happen in your part of the world if you lived like you're loved? What could happen in your house? What could happen on your street? What could happen in your town if you lived like you're loved for the opportunity to share your why? See, I've come to realize, I think in a lot of people's lives, they are gripped by the tyranny of the extraordinary. That's the way I would phrase it. And this is what I mean. I know a lot of people who want to make a difference in the world, right? Some of them are here today. And you're like, yes, Jeff, I want my life to make a big difference in the world. I, I, I want to be a part of something that sees people's lives changed. And so in turn, what happens is they're always looking for the extraordinary. They're always looking for this big thing. They're always looking for, God, what is it that you want me to do? This huge, extraordinary thing that as a result, the world has changed. And what I've noticed is sometimes we spend all our time looking for the extraordinary and we do very little. Always watching, always waiting. And here's what I want you to think about today. God changes the world through ordinary people. Ordinary people yielding their ordinary lives to his extraordinary mission. And I want that to sink in for us, not just this week, but over the coming weeks. I mean, ordinary people. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said something like, God must love the common man because he made a bunch of us. Common men and women those are the stories that we see throughout the Bible. They are common people who simply yield their common lives, but to an extraordinary mission. And their part of the world is turned upside down. And so I want to do the best we can for probably the next five weeks. And I want us to go after what does it mean to live like you're loved? What does that mean? What's my why? I'm loved by Jesus. Okay, then that should translate to a life that is lived like I'm loved. Five weeks, God give us eyes that can see. So here's where we begin. You're going to love this. Ready? You're going to love this. Everybody got, you got pen and paper and you're ready to take some notes, get your, get your phone, whatever. I want you to take some notes. What does it mean to live like we're loved? Here's where we begin. We begin with prayer. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> begin with prayer. It's like, well, well sure we do. Because that's like the Sunday school answer. By Sunday school, I mean I'm one of those kids that grew up my whole life in church, and there was never a time that I don't remember going to Sunday school. 
All right, we went, we went to Sunday school every single Sunday, and what I learned at a very early age is that you could bail yourself out of a lot of tight questions in Sunday school with three, three answers. First, Jesus. Always start there, Jesus, right? What, they're asking you a question, Jesus. Even if you're not paying attention, go Jesus, all right? It's because nobody can really gripe at you for saying Jesus. So even if you weren't paying attention, then you just go Jesus first. Second, the Bible. Go the Bible. It'll, it'll work for you. And third was prayer. Like, how do we get this done? Prayer. Prayer. What's, what's the solution? Prayer. What do we need to do about this? Prayer. It's the answer. Jesus, the Bible, and prayer. But here's what I've also observed Prayer is so much the answer that few of us actually do it. Few of us actually pray. We talk about praying. We're called to pray. We study praying, but we don't actually pray. I heard from many of you this week about how last Sunday was so meaningful to you. And it was, it was to me too. But just people expressing how what we did last Sunday was so meaningful. Well, sure it was. I mean, because the sermon was great, right? <laughs> like, no. I'm not even sure in most technical circles that you would even call what I did last week a sermon, to be honest. That's really not how you build a a sermon, preach a sermon. It's not. Well, then it's because the music was so dynamic, right? Well, it was good because it's almost always good, right? It was good, but I'm going to say no. I don't think that was it either because I wouldn't consider last week anywhere near one of the best times of singing that I would have remembered us being in. There, there are a few times that I can recall when, when you guys are just singing your lungs out and you really can hear people just praising God. There are, there are Sundays that that happens. That wasn't last week. Sometimes I couldn't even hear you. It was good because in our struggles, most of us slowed down last Sunday more than we normally do, and we met with God, and we recognized it. We slowed down more than we normally do. And we went face to face with this God who, who is always offering that to us. It's just most of the time we're so busy and we're so in our routines and we're so struggling to find the extraordinary and we're so struggling to fix what we're wrestling with that, that we don't slow down enough to just go face to face with him. I mean, come on, think about this. This is God. This is God who is offering the opportunity to us to meet with him. The reason we struggle with that so much is because we really do live in a world that believes with all its heart that the key to success is human ingenuity. 
It really is. It's about human power. It's about our ability to to make things happen, our ability to, to bring change. But the Bible is clear that anything of eternal significance must be from God. Any real change only happens from God. The Apostle Paul clearly understood the significance of a life that prays. Here's how I know. You can find example after example. I'm just going to show you a few here, like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That pretty well covers it, doesn't it? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In other words, he's saying in everything that you do, all of your life, let it be a life that prays. Let this be a life that wants to know what's in accordance with God's heart. How does that happen? It happens because of the spirit that lives within you that guides your heart to pray what his heart desires. He says so all the time, every occasion, pray. Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's a little more than make sure you pray every once in a while. That's a little more than make sure that prayer is a part of your life. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then I'll give you one more. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, just in case all the rest of them were not very clear. Pray continually. I mean, that's about as simple as it gets. I want you to understand Paul is not calling us to a prayer time. He's calling us to a life that prays. A life that is ever before the face of God. I'm not calling you to a prayer time today. Because some of you have a prayer time, but then you go to work and you act like the devil. You run over people and what comes out of your mouth is garbage. You don't need a prayer time. You need a life that prays. Some of us have a prayer time, but then we may treat our spouse disrespectful. Never really appreciative, always demanding more. We don't need just a prayer time. We need a life that prays. Some of us have a prayer time, but we act entitled, not willing to humble ourselves and learn and, 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 and earn respect. We think that somehow leadership and power comes with a title. No. We don't need a prayer time. We need a life that prays. I'm not calling you to a prayer time. I'm saying that living like you're loved begins with a heart that is really connected continuously to the heart of God. And I know what's going to happen. We're going to move on next week and the next week and the next week. And I'm going to give you some practical things from the Bible of how we live like we're loved. And if you're not careful, you're going to move right by this first one. And then you're going to wonder why there's no power in what you're doing. It's because you can't skip this one. I'm just going to give you three short prayers today. And when I say short, I mean really short in wording. They, They are so simple in wording I don't mean they're simple in living, but they are simple in wording. 
If we're going to begin with prayer, God, I want to live like I'm loved, then this is prayer number one. God, change me. God, please change me. And by change me, what I mean is turn me from me to you and therefore to others. God, change me. The scripture that I think God has um, most planted in our heart for 2017 is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's where we get this information about a love that compels us. I'm going to read it to you again this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that's Jesus, and therefore all died. But I want you to see verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for who? Themselves. Hmm. So when I'm loved by him, his love compels me. The direct result of that is I'm no longer living for myself, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Our basic orientation is self. It is. It's because we all try to act like God. We do. We call the shots. We live for us. We make it about us. We, we want to be God. But Christ's love compels us. He loves us proving it fully in his death for us. And that love, that kindness, is what leads us to repentance, which means to turn. It means to change. God, change me, no longer living for me, but for you, which I know then translates to loving the world that you love. I don't have the power to change me. God does. You don't have the power to change you. God does. And there's no living like you're loved until you connect to the one that you were made to love. I understand people can love you, but nobody loves you like him. Nobody loves you like him. And so you're not going to fully live like you're loved until your heart really is connected to the one that you were made to love. God, change me. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. I'm sure you'll have that one down by next Sunday, right? God, change me. This is lifelong prayer, isn't it? This is not prayer time prayer. This is lifelong prayer. God, change me. Second prayer. God, show me. God, show me. So you're changing my heart to where I'm not living life for me. This is, this is not about an everyday process of what, what do I need for me, but I'm, I want to live it. That, that What is it that moves your heart, and therefore what is it? What is it that's going on around me, God, that I need to see, that I need to hear, that I need to feel? God, will you show me what I need to see? Will you show me what I need to hear? Will you show me what I need to feel? Will you help me? 
I, I realize we typically don't appreciate our senses until they are interrupted. Now, a part of the beauty of 74 degrees in the middle of February is that days from now, it could be 24. And so that swing, right, we want the 74. Don't get me wrong. I'm all over the 74. God, thank you for the sunshine and just feeling some warmth in the middle of of the winter. But that swing will do some junk with your head. And by junk with your head, I mean sinus stuff, doesn't it? I mean, it's just that time. Everybody's kind of fighting a cold if they're not fighting the flu or something else like that. And, and I, I've kind of been on and off with that over the last month. Um, um, even this week got a little bit of it. But, but several weeks ago, I, I had it to a degree that um, it wasn't like I was deathly sick. But it was more annoying than I have experienced in a long, long time. And the reason was it completely stopped up one side of my hearing to where I'm not exaggerating to tell you that if I covered this ear, closed it, I couldn't hear squat, nothing. And you know what it's like when when you cannot hear And it's like you're in a drum all the time. I describe it, it's like constantly living life on the approach to the runway, right? It's like when you've been at 30,000 feet and that plane is about to land and all that junk going on in the atmosphere affects your head for a little bit. And it's it's like constantly living when you're about to land. And I know where it happened. I know where it happened. I was driving out of Harrisonville, north on the interstate, and you know how you climb that hill right there at the hospital going out of town, and then all of a sudden you head down the hill, and it was somewhere right about the crest of that hill that this ear, all of a sudden, I started to hear like a little bit of wind. You know how it is like, and it was like, and I think I put both hands in the air. I think I did was like, thank you, God, I can hear again. It was just annoying for so many days to not be able to hear, and then you just feel weird. I'm saying it's only typically when our senses are interrupted that we really pay attention to the senses that we have. But I'm convinced that spiritually people are walking around all the time not really hearing like they're capable of hearing, not really seeing like we're capable of seeing, not really feeling what God wants us to feel. And it's not because the opportunities are rare. Sometimes we treat it like, God, I'm praying that you'll show me, show me how you want me to to love people. God, show me how you want me to, to live. Show me how you want me to serve. Show me how you want me to help. Show me how, and we act like it's an Easter egg hunt. And there's only like three eggs in your lifetime. And you're always on the search for this, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? We act like there's there's no opportunity. There was one moment when Jesus was walking along with his disciples, and he made this statement to them. It's actually a question. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? He said, I tell you, open your eyes. 
and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. God, show us. God, show us that we will see what you want us to see, that we will hear like you hear, that we will feel like you feel. I, I heard a story this week about a guy who was praying kind of in line with what we're talking about here. A guy who was, was like, God, I, I really want to see like you see. I really want you to show me how I can live. And um, he said he was at the mall, which was kind of the moment that I almost quit reading the story. All right, guys, guy is at the mall. And I almost started, stopped reading. But anyway, he's at the mall. Maybe he's there because he loves his wife. I don't know. But he's at the mall. And he said, I came out of this store. And I saw this guy sitting on a bench by himself out in the mall. And he said, I promise you, it, it was I, God saying to me, go over have a conversation with the guy and look for the opportunity to tell him that I love him, that God loves him. And so he did what most of us would do. He ignored it because that's weird, right? That's weird. Most people don't do that. And so he's like, no, I, I, I mean, he's processing, and, and so, but he keeps moving while he's processing. He said, later on, I'm in a different part of the mall. I come out of another store. There's the dude. And he said, that was the moment that I knew it. I knew it. It was like, God is not going to give up on this deal. But, but he said, I kept on walking, and I'm thinking, okay, this is, I, I know this is it, but I'm still, I'm still walking away. He said, when I came out of the third store in a different place in the mall, and the dude was sitting right there, he said, I just went, okay, God. He walks up to him, and he said, look, I know this is weird. I know it's weird but I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to do today. So I hope you don't take this as weird, but I think I'm supposed to tell you that God loves you. And he said the guy's eyes just welled up with tears. And the guy told him a short story about how that morning, all the circumstances in his life, he had really, he described, he said, I, I was really at the end of my rope. And he said, I just simply said to God, God, if you're real, let me know it. And he said, mister, you are the third stranger in this mall to tell me that God loves me. And nobody's ever told me that ever before in my life. Now, you know what? I don't want you to be a bunch of weird people walking around telling people what you think God wants you to tell them. Don't be weird with that. But I do believe with all of my heart that there are people calling out to God all the time, God, do you love me? And sometimes you are supposed to be a part of that answer. And it's not as weird as we make it out to be. There's, there's no greater news in the whole world. It's not as weird as we make it out to be. And can I tell you that the supernatural power of God trumps the weirdness. 
And what you think people will take as weird is really what they've been looking for in terms of hope. Just know that sometimes it's not supposed to start with your words. Sometimes you're supposed to put into action what love looks like and then you have the opportunity to tell them why it's because Jesus loves you. Now don't leave that part out. Don't just walk it around doing good stuff. Because if you walk around doing good stuff and you never connect it to Jesus, who's looking like they're getting credit for it? You. There's no supernatural power in that. God, change me. God, show me. One more. God, use me. God, use me. I think one of the most common reasons that most automobile accidents tend to happen is what is often described on the ticket, um, a failure to yield. Anybody ever been in one of those accidents? Yeah? Some of us might have caused them. Some of us have been in them. My family's been in some where there was a failure to yield. And I'm saying sometimes I think that's exactly what happens in our lives spiritually. It is a failure to yield to God, to let him do in us, to let him do through us what he really wants done. God, use me. Romans chapter 6, verse 13 reads this way. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. He's saying, don't yield to sin, yield to a God who has this remarkable picture for your life. He's brought you from death to life, and, and you yield to him as an instrument, that's kind of a weird phrase, an instrument of righteousness. Now, righteousness is a big old word that typically gets used mostly in church. It's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, sometimes righteousness in the Bible means to be set right with God. Sometimes when it's talking about our righteousness, it's the fact that you and I are not, and God is. But when we turn to Jesus in faith, he died for me, he took my place, he arose to life again. My faith in him, he's willing to forgive me. He makes a beautiful exchange. He takes all my sin upon himself, and he puts his righteousness on me. I mean, who wouldn't want that deal? Righteousness, to be set right with God. And then sometimes it means living in a right way with God. Now that I've been made right with God, that I can have this relationship, I want to walk that out in a way of, of righteousness that's, that's in, you know, parallel to his heart. But then there's one more way that righteousness is used in the Bible. It's God <coughs> using us to set things right. Sometimes we would use the word justice in, that, in this place. In other words, when you are right with him and you are walking with him, then you are used by him to set things right in a broken world around us. 
God changes the world through ordinary people yielding their ordinary lives to his extraordinary mission. Next week, we'll take step two. Just to give you a preview, step two is I'm going to teach you next week what the Bible says about learning to listen into the lives of other people. Learning to listen into the lives of other people. If we're going to live like we're loved, we got to learn to do that. But I'm telling you that doing that effectively is directly related to your decision to begin with prayer. You're not going to hear into the lives of other people if you don't start where we're starting today. I'm calling you not just to a prayer time. I'm calling you to a life that prays. God, teach us about a life that prays. Let me close it like this. By the way, every once in a while I use the word close because when you use the word close in speaking to an audience, 65% of the audience will re-engage if they've fallen asleep, all right? Just so you know. I think we can understand some of this by just walking back through some of the events of this week. And what I mean by that, primarily this week, um, was kind of highlighted by Valentine's Day, right? Valentine's Day. Some of y'all are smiling, some of y'all are frowning, all right? It's kind of gauging how things went for you this week. Valentine's Day. I want to say I'm for it. I'm for Valentine's Day. I am. Um, this year, uh, I went chocolate-covered strawberries. Um, because in case you haven't figured out, that's why God put stems on strawberries, you got to have something to hold it to dip it into the chocolate. That's why he put stems on there, all right? That's so why the green stuff is on there. You don't eat it. It's for holding to dip into chocolate. That's, that's why he put that on there. I personally bought chocolate-covered strawberries for several of the women in my life this week for Valentine's Day who impact my life in a positive way almost every day, almost every day. So I went chocolate-covered strawberries. But here, however, I bought my wife, the biggest box of chocolate-covered strawberries, all right? I bought some for several, but the biggest box I bought for her, and I took only my wife to dinner, nobody else. We didn't go on Valentine's Day. One, it was our upper basketball practice. I'm coaching upper basketball, and so that was the night to practice with my team, and, and uh, even if, even if, even if I wanted to, to do, I was, that was the day I felt the worst this week. And so it would, it would have not been a good night out. I mean, I probably couldn't have tasted anything, you know, that whole day. It's like, this is not, we're not going on Valentine's. We went later on. I took her to a nice restaurant. We had dinner nicer than, than usual. It was fantastic. But here's what I want you to realize. What 
I have with my wife is not because on Valentine's Day I buy her chocolate and a super nice dinner. That's not why I have what I have with her. Now, I am not um, attempting to pretend in the next few moments of what I'm going to describe to you. I'm not trying to pretend that our relationship is perfect, because it isn't. There are days that we struggle. There are days that one of us is mad at the other one. All right? It happens. Uh, Every once in a while, she'll do something. So I can be mad at her. Every once in a while, it happens. I know it's a shock, but it happens every once in a while. I do something every once in a while. Now, she's mad at me a little more than I'm mad at her. Because women dream. And they'll wake up in the morning mad at you. Am I, is it, am I, what did I do? Well, let me tell you about my dream. And here's what you did in my dream. Anybody ever been there? Anybody? It's like, what? I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. You did it in my dream, all right? I'm just saying it's the stuff of life. There are days that we're mad at each other. We really are. We, we have our moments of struggle. But I consider what I have with my wife to be something very, very good. And I want you to understand that a part of why I have what I have with her is because of what I'm going to call intentional conversation. And by intentional conversation, I mean frequency of conversation, and I mean content of conversation. It is intentional. It really is. There is never, hardly ever, a phone conversation that she and I have that does not end with I love you. It's intentional. I don't mean like 50% of the time, 80% of the time, 90%. I mean 99.9% of the time if she and I have a conversation on the phone, no matter how simple that conversation is, is, it ends with I love you. If we're texting, it ends with I love you. Almost every single time. And I'm telling you, it's, it's intentional. If we, if we go our separate ways in terms of we're at the house and one of us is about to leave or we're in public and we're going different directions like will happen here in a few, few moments, it ends with, I love you. We don't go to sleep without, I love you. And I understand you may think that that's just goofy. I don't care. Because what I have with her is good. And a part of why it's good is because we're intentional. Maybe some of it is I do too many funerals. And it really does call me not to waste too many days relationally. And I'm telling you more times a day than I can count, we say I love you. We say a lot, thank you. We say a lot, I'm sorry. We just try to be intentional about conversation, frequency, and content. It's a part of why I have with her what I have with her. I have with her what I have with her also because we are intentional about being on mission together. On mission together. 
I understand that we have different giftings. I, I understand that, that God calls each of us to do, you know, kind of different things in this whole mission. Um, but, but we do this together. We're on the mission of leading our children to Jesus together. That's not just hers. That's not just mine. It's together. We're on this mission. We talk about it. We, we strategize for it. We, we fight through that. We, we, we serve together on mission. Now, that doesn't mean that she knows everything that I know and what I do. In fact, she knows hardly, well, let me put it this way. I get a lot of secrets. That's my whole life. Much of my life is secrets between me and God and the person who told me, and that's the way it stays. And she doesn't get any of that. And I'm grateful that she, she knows that and she trusts that. I don't tell her any of that stuff that comes from your heart to mine. But there's a whole lot of stuff that's not secret that we can be on mission about. Serving God together. It's about being intentional together, not, not one, one one way, one the other way. It's, it's together. We have what we have because we're intentional about being on mission together. We're intentional about conversation, and we have what we have because I'm intentional about spending money on what I know brings her joy. You're like, really? Yeah, really? I'm intentional about spending money sometimes on what I know brings her joy. Now, a part of what brings her joy is she loves to give presents. She does. And so a part of the constant conversation is her saying to me, hey, do we have enough that I could like get this for? That's the way it goes. Do, I have, do we have enough that I can buy this for? Yes, yes. So we're constantly on that track together. I know that's what she loves to do, and I like spending money on what brings her joy of using those resources to do. Don't be stupid. I also know what her favorite purse is. You know what I'm saying? I know what she likes best. And I like spending money on those things that I know they don't own her heart. But she enjoys some stuff around that, and I, I love to spend money on that. Let me flip this to the negative side, because for some of you, that's your language, and this is, this is, it'll work this way, all right? What if, what if I only talked to my wife once a day? Maybe it's in the morning, I wake up, and for five minutes, I tell her what I need her to do to make my day work. Does that sound refreshing? What, what if I only gave her attention one time a week? In the sense of, look, we're busy. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of needs. There's a lot of ministry. There's a lot of hurts. Everybody, we got a lot of work to do. But you know what? Once a week, we'll, 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 I'm, I, I want to just pay attention to you. We'll, we'll go on a date. We'll go to dinner. We'll go to a show, whatever. But once a week, we'll do that. And what if I only spent money on her on Valentine's Day or her birthday or our anniversary because it means so much to me and Christmas? So what if I only spent money then? I'm saying it would be a lot different than what we currently have. And she, nor I, would like it. 
Here's what I want you to consider. Some of you talk to God once a day. If you remember. If you remember, it's usually in the morning. As quick as you can after you get up so that you can spend five minutes telling him what you need to make your day go as smooth as it possibly can. Some of you go to a show with God once a week. Just a time when you can just focus on him. Here we are. And some of you spend money on what he wants only when you have it left over from your priorities. But you call what you have with him love. My mission in the next five weeks is to tell you there's more. My mission in the next five weeks is to show you there's more. It can be so much better than that. Because God wants you to know the joy of living like you're loved. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to be dismissed. We'll be over here on the side after. If you need prayer today, you may be going through something, struggling. You may have a question today. We'd be honored to visit with you. Some of you, after prayer time, you need to get to Bible study because you need to know what God's word says. You need to, you need to, you need to feed Need to feed tea to take it in in order for you to operate this week. Some of you need to go, as uh, even couples, and go get signed up for something like Real 127. Talk to somebody at the at the Eye Center, or you can ask one of us. You, but as a, as a couple, you need to start engaging in some ministry. Maybe it's something like Real 127 or something like that, like you saw the video today. Some of you daddies need to make a direct sprint to the sign-up list, and you need to go to that event with your daughter. Because if she's between five and, was it, a senior, 12th grade, I'm telling you, today is the day you got with her. We've dropped the price to give you every opportunity to go after. We weren't making money to start with, so I'm saying we're making up the difference for you to be able to go take advantage of that. Today? Show her what it means to live like you're loved. Go after it. God, I'm asking for, um, God, more than a series, more than me getting up here and talking through some stuff the next four weeks or so, and, and us just being able to walk away with some info. God, I'm, I'm asking for some change in me. I'm asking for some change in us I'm asking you to transform our hearts from turned inward to turned upward to then turned outward. God, I'm asking you to make us a people who are not afraid to live like we're loved. God, for some of us, there's stuff we worry about, stuff we're so afraid of. God, there's stuff that just chains us down. And I'm asking 
that you'd set us free when we know that we are loved by you. God, for marriages, for families, for friendships, God, I'm asking that this would be more than, than, than just what we do in our spare time, but it becomes a life that loves. But God, none of that's going to be lasting until it's true about the most important, the most spectacular relationship of all. And that's that you, our creator God, who put on skin and took our place, dying, rising again, God, you love us. May it sink in. May it turn us upside down. May it in turn turn our world upside down. God, we love you because you first loved us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.